Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, as you know, for the past two weeks, I've been talking about my new book, Shadow Christians, and I'd like to spend one more podcast on that before we move on to some other themes uh, in the future. The book, Shadow Christians, is really a result of two streams that have been flowing in my life simultaneously. As I've mentioned in the previous two podcasts, uh, the first stream is my personal study of the unnamed anonymous characters in the New Testament who were consequential to the story. People who either did important things or were a part of important events, but who remained anonymous. Now, I find that striking because by one count, there's at least 170 named characters in the New Testament. So I've been asking myself, why not 172 or 175? Why didn't some of these other people get their name in the story? Well, I think it's because God is communicating to all of us that the unnamed anonymous people really do matter and really do make a significant difference. I call them shadow Christians. Then a second stream that's been flowing that produced the book has been my uh, growing appreciation for the role of followers in the leadership equation. Uh, One of my favorite definitions of leadership is leadership is an influence relationship among leaders and followers who intend real change according to their mutual purposes. I like that definition because it emphasizes the relational aspects of leadership, the role of both leaders and followers in accomplishing anything consequential, and the mutuality of the purposes that drive us forward as we move forward together. So, those two streams, my personal Bible study over the past few years, and this appreciation that I have for the people who work behind the scenes to accomplish so much in God's kingdom, those two things flowed together to produce this book called Shadow Christians, subtitle, Making an Impact When No One Knows Your Name. Now, in the first podcast, I overviewed something of the book and the importance of shadow Christians, and then last week I talked about the role of shadow Christians and what they're able to accomplish, and I want to follow that up with uh, the rest of the information or a summary of information about what shadow Christians are able to do. Shadow Christians, as we learned last week, uh, experience God's power, share the gospel, and we are the ministry workforce. Let's build on that by understanding that shadow Christians do the dirty work. Now, I use that phrase, the dirty work, because there is a lot of work in ministry that's not very glamorous. You know, when my wife and I started having children, we discovered that uh, somebody had to change the diapers and somebody had to clean up the vomit. I know that may be a little earthy for you as you listen to this podcast, but that's the reality. Parents have to do the dirty work. And my wife and I realized early on that uh, we were better at some aspects of that (laughs) than we were at others. And we actually chose up sides and said, uh, I'll handle one of these if you'll handle the other one. And that's how we made it through dealing with the dirty work of parenting. Well, ministries got the dirty work. Somebody has to provide the child care, fill up the baptistry, mow the lawn, take out the trash, fold the bulletins. Someone has to enter the financial information, keep the attendance records, cook the meals, bust the tables, patrol the parking lot, drive the van. Somebody has to be the counselors at youth camp or children's camp, and somebody has to sort out the fights on the preschool playground. Ministry involves 
dirty work. It's not all glamorous. It's not all uh, appreciated. You don't get your name up in lights for doing some of this kind of work. You know, for a long time, I was involved in Little League Baseball, and for a number of years, I coached Little League. One of the things I would do at uh, the beginning of every season was have a team meeting, and in the parent presence of the parents, I would ask the players, what's the most important position on the field? Well, of course, pitcher, someone would say. No, someone else would say catcher. Someone else would say shortstop, and those are important positions. But it was a trick question, because when I asked what's the most important position on the field, the correct answer was the one I'm playing. I wanted the boys to understand that the most important position on the field was the one they were playing in the moment, because if the ball was hit the left field and there was no left fielder, then the team was in serious trouble. It was important for everyone to do their job, to fulfill their role, to take their responsibility seriously, and to get the job done. Oh, yes, the catcher might tag the player out at the plate, but only if the relay throw came from the shortstop, but only if the, sh the left fielder made the play and picked up the ball in the first place. So while everyone's cheering the catcher who made the out, tagging that runner who's sliding in from third, it's the left fielder who started the play that should get the credit for getting it started on time and in a way that the ultimate out could be recorded. So whatever position you're playing is the most important position in God's kingdom. If God's established you as a preschool worker, that's the position you should be playing. If your responsibility is to patrol the parking lot, that's the position you should be playing. If your job is to run the sound system, then you better play that position well. You know, I'm a spotlight leader typically in a church worship service. I'm on the platform with the lights on preaching the sermon. But I recognize that if I don't have preschool workers, parking lot patrol people, and sound system operators, I'm not going to be effective at what I do. And so it's the shadow Christians who are doing the dirty work that really help get the job done. I think about a couple of different categories of shadow Christians doing dirty work that are described both in the Bible and certainly experienced in church ministry today. Uh, one of those is providing hospitality. One of my favorite stories of a shadow Christian in the Bible who did this is Peter's mother-in-law. Now, the woman had to have had a name. She's well-known, well-known enough that when her story is written, she's simply referred to as, oh, Peter's mother-in-law. We all know her. But her name isn't included in the story. You remember the story. She experiences a healing and immediately gets up and starts providing hospitality to the disciples. Wow. Here's an unnamed woman who was apparently well-known enough that they could refer to her by her designation, her family name, if you will, Peter's mother-in-law, but whose name didn't make it in the story. And yet... She plays a crucial role of providing hospitality to the disciples. When I started the church in Oregon, we'd only been going a few weeks when an older couple came to visit our church for the first time. Their names were Glenn and Inez. They came to worship. They observed what we were doing. They came back a second Sunday. I made an appointment to go and visit them in their home, went to a modest home, sat down with them, 
heard their story. They were retired. Uh, they had been Christians uh, since they were young adults. They had been for over 50 years active and vibrantly involved in ministry. Glenn had, in uh, more active years, served as a deacon and other church leadership roles, and Inez had done many of the things that most women do as church servants over the years. But when they came to visit our church, they asked me a very important question. They said, your church is very different, and it was. We were trying to reach secular, northwestern, younger families, and so everything we did was geared toward that mission or that objective. Inez said, so your church is very different. We have a question for you. I said, okay. She said, is there a place in a church like yours for people like us? I wanted to answer that question on two levels, and so I said, Inez, first of all, there's always room in our church for any person who wants to be a part. But second, you do need to understand that our church isn't going to be designed with your needs in mind. We're not going to sing songs that are familiar to you. We're not going to worship at a time of day that's normally what you're accustomed to. We're not going to structure our programming to connect with and meet your personal needs. Our church is really about reaching young families and secular, unchurched North families, uh, families in the Pacific Northwest. That's who we're trying to reach. And so as best we can, we're structuring everything we do toward that objective. And she said, well, we want to be a part of a church like that. We, we want to be a part of reaching the next generation. We just want to do our part. Well, Glenn and Inez joined our church. I sat down with Inez after they made that decision, and I said, uh, Inez, you said you wanted to do your part. One of the things that I predict you're really good at is hospitality. Your generation of women knows how to make a meal, set a table, create an environment that people find welcoming, and I think you probably have done that even in a church context for a number of years. She smiled. She said, I know all about that. So I said, Inez, would you become the hospitality director of our church? And every time we have an event, <clears throat> would you just make sure that it's inviting, that it's warm, that it's high quality, and that it really connects with people in this culture, especially young families that are going to be coming to these events? She agreed to do that. And for the next several years, and I may, I may get a little emotional about this, it brings tears to my eyes when I think about it. For the next several years, Glenn and Inez came every Sunday, stood in the service during the singing, hardly ever sang a song. They didn't know the music. They didn't understand the contemporary sound. They came and they participated in worship. They gave their offerings. They were not wealthy people, but they were living on retirement incomes, and they believed in tithing and a little bit more, and so they gave every month. And then every time we had an event, and those events were uh, pretty often in a young church like ours, we, we had uh, all kinds of events. And Inez and a little team that she recruited, they'd show up, and we had fantastic hospitality. We always had good food nice decorations, a warm environment. We always had a, a sense of 
of uh, welcoming, and you know what I mean, a hospitality uh, spirit that permeated what we did. And it all emanated from a senior adult woman who knew her place was not to be at the center of everything the church was doing, but was to be in the shadows as the hospitality director, making it possible for our church to have the kind of environment in which young families could feel welcomed and by that and in that context experience the gospel grow in their bible study uh, in, uh, uh, in their knowledge of the bible learn about what it meant to be family all because of a woman like Inez Hunt and Inez also trained other women she she helped younger women learn how to extend hospitality because she knew her time would eventually come to an end and it did she finally got to the point where she just wasn't physically able to do all of it any longer and turned it over to other women who picked up the mantle, if you will, and carried the hospitality ministry forward. When I think about Peter's mother-in-law and Inez Hunt, I think about women who worked in the shadows, caring for others, providing meals, a place to rest, a hospitable environment, who saw that welcoming others was an important part of reaching, teaching, and developing them for Jesus Christ. That's what I mean when I say shadow Christians do the dirty work. They make the food, clean up the tables, put out the decorations, and otherwise provide hospitality. Here's another one. Another aspect of the dirty work of ministry is what I call protective services. This is people who take care of others. You know, I recently preached at a mega church, and when I arrived on the property, they said, would you please text us as soon as you arrive? And so I did. And soon after I stepped out of my vehicle, a man walked up to me and introduced himself and said, I'm your personal security for your time on our campus. Now, I'm no international uh, celebrity, but this church is large enough that they do have from time to time uh, threats made against their leadership, and so they simply have decided to have a shadow, if you will, a personal protector, a personal security person following their leaders on Sundays. And so while I was on that campus, I had this man who was uh, in the shadows, always within a reasonable distance of me, scanning the crowd, watching the people who are interacting with me, listening in on the conversations and the comments, and always ready to step in and take care of any situation that might arise. I asked him, how long have you been doing this? And he smiled and said, for a long time. He's a retired law enforcement official. He uh, is trained and capable and sees his ministry as showing up Sunday by Sunday and protecting the people that work in the spotlights protective services. You say, well, you know, that's kind of a new thing. It's really not. You know, when you read the book of Acts, you'll discover that there were several incidents in which the Christian community protected Paul, helped him escape from situations that were threatening him physically. And in one case, the Bible says that Paul's nephew actually went to the Roman authorities and informed them of a plot to kill Paul and they organized a protective force to escort him from one place to another. Paul's nephew. I wondered, if they all knew he was Paul's nephew, why didn't his name get included in the story? 
another example of an anonymous, unnamed person in the Bible who made a consequential contribution, in this case, being a part of Paul's protective services. We do the dirty work. Shadow Christians say that. Another example of this is uh, a friend of mine who led a mission trip. He said, now before we go on this mission trip, let's understand something. When we get there, we're not there to do the easy work or the glamorous work or the work that we want to do. When we get there, we're going to tell the people in charge, we do what's next. And whatever's next on the list, that's what we do. So just tell us what you want done, and with a great attitude, we're going to get it done. And that was the attitude our team took to that missions experience. Now, when we arrived there, it was a construction-type uh, 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 project. When we arrived there, we worked the first day on different assignments that we had been given. But we were wrapping those up and concluding those pretty quickly. And so our leader asked the person in charge, now, what do you want us to do tomorrow? Well, he kind of looked down and hemmed and hawed a bit. And our leader said, why are you hesitating? We, we just need to know whatever's next. We told you when we got here, we would do whatever's next. He said, well, unfortunately, what's next is all of the insulation has to be stapled into the rafters so that we can sheetrock the roof of this auditorium and get it ready for the next step. And he said, the problem is, it's, as you know, going to be over 100 degrees the rest of this week. And up on that scaffolding, putting in that insulation, it's going to be even hotter. But that's what's next. So our leader said, then that's what we do. We'll be here in the morning. We'll be ready to go. We'll, we'll, we'll put insulation in all day. And that's what we did. Some moving scaffolding, some up on the scaffolding, some passing insulation up the scaffolding, some stapling it into place. It was one of the hottest, dirtiest, difficult days imaginable. That insulation falling off into our uh, necks and on our skin, no matter how hard we worked, trying to keep it out of, uh, off of us, it still was getting on us. After all that day, I remember that we walked outside in the parking lot and with our clothes on, took ho a hose and took turns just washing each other down and spraying each other down to get that sticky, itchy insulation off of our skin. We do what's next. We do the dirty work. You know, that's what shadow Christians do. We... Uh, we take care of hospitality needs. We take care of protective services. We, we show up and we say, what's next? And we do the dirty work of ministry. Well, uh, beyond that, we also lead churches and start new churches and ministries. That's part of what shadow Christians accomplish. Now, you may say, wait a second, leading churches, that's not really shadowy work. Well, it is. Most churches have elders or deacons or other people in leadership in those kind of capacities. And while they may have some notoriety in their circle or in their church, they're not well-known people. They're not known outside uh, their community as great Christian leaders with a ministry platform. No, they're, they're shadow Christians, even though they may have emerged into some kind of church leadership role. Now, here's what's interesting to me. The concept of elders and deacons is clearly taught throughout the New Testament. 
There are examples of people serving as elders and doing things as elders, and there are uh, descriptions of both elders and deacons. But unless I missed it, there's not one person in the New Testament who filled the office of elder or deacon whose name is recorded. There's no Deacon Bob or Elder Tom. It's just not there. And you may say, well, there's that one deaconess. Yes, that word can be translated deaconess or it can be translated servant. And there's some dispute of whether that woman named was actually an officer of the church or not. So that one's inconclusive. But that's the only possible reference to a person who served as a deacon or an elder whose name is actually associated with the office. Now, I know you may say, well, what about over in Acts, those early deacons? Well, they're, they're early church leaders, but they're not specifically called deacons. My point is that even in the New Testament, the deacons and elders were largely, if not entirely, unnamed, anonymous people. You know, the deacons and elders in a church are what I call the glue guys. They're the people who hold it all together. Uh, the deacons or elders, depending on how your church is organized, are the permanent leaders who provide a personal example for the church of what leadership looks like and what Christian devotion to it and, and Christian, uh, ministry, uh, Christian ministry in a church looks like. They're the people who sort of hold it all together. In a, in a lot of uh, churches, uh, pastors come and go on a fairly regular basis, every three to five years or something like that. I'm not saying that's a desirable practice. I'm simply saying it's reality. But the elders and deacons tend to stay around for a while, sometimes 10, 20 years, even longer, being the permanent leadership body that helps the church have stability and strength as it goes forward. They're the glue guys. They're the behind-the-scenes leaders, the shadow leaders. They work in support and in close support of those spotlight leaders who are up on the platform, but they're not necessarily well-known people, and they're usually not known outside their own context or outside their own ministry setting. So shadow Christians are people who lead churches, and they're also people who help start churches. This, these were actually the people who got this whole thing started, me writing this book called Shadow Christians. In Acts chapter 11, uh, the Bible says that some preachers from Cyprus and Cyrene arrived and started preaching the gospel, and as a result of that, the church at Antioch was birthed. These men from Cyprus and Cyrene, these unnamed church planters, went to Antioch and were used to launch what I believe is the most consequential or most important church in the New Testament. In fact, it's so important I wrote a book called The Case for Antioch, trying to describe how significant this church was in its day and how it's a model for the church of today. These preachers, men from Cyprus and Cyrene who started the church, are unnamed in the Bible. When you look through the Bible, you'll find that uh, the, the Christian movement emerged in, a, in multiple places without any indication of who actually started the church. You know, Paul actually, for example, arrives in Rome to preach the gospel there and is welcomed by the believers who were already there. No one knows who planted the church in Rome. No one knows who the first Christians were who launched that movement in that location. But nevertheless, it happened. So I could go on and on with examples, and I give you a lot more of these in the book, but the reality is 
shadow Christians help start churches. You know, I'm a church planter. I moved to Portland, Oregon in 1989 and planted what is now called Pathway Church. Uh, I invested a number of years of my life there, first as the church planting pastor and then as a member for another 10 years, serving the pastor who followed me in various capacities and helping to build the church to its present strength. I'm well known in the Pacific Northwest as being the founding pastor of Pathway Church, and it's on my bio, and people note that about me, that I'm the only seminary president of the Southern Baptist Convention that's actually planted a church. And so that notoriety is because of my being a spotlight leader, and I, I get the credit for that church being planted. But in reality, it was the shadow Christians who made it happen. I think about people like Rusty and Sheila and Steve and Kathy and I think about people uh, like Glenn and Inez uh, that I've already mentioned in this podcast. I, I think about people like Bob and Buff and Elmer and Quilla and, uh, uh, and, and Bill and Alice. I think about people like that who came along in the early years, people like Brian and Cindy, people that came along in the early years and became the movement that was and is today Pathway Church. These were the people who came along and ran the sound system and worked in the preschool and taught the children's Sunday school classes. These are the people who uh, led the youth ministries and took kids to youth camp and on church mission trips. Uh, these are the people who uh, came in and worked on decision-making bodies like budget committees and, uh, uh, and, and, fellowship and, and uh, leadership uh, teams and other groups that had to get the work done. These are the people who served on the facilities task force, uh, a group that worked together for almost 10 years to build the campus. All of these people uh, that came along and filled out all these responsibilities, no, no one really knows their names. Uh, they, they're, they're not writing any books. They're not getting invited to speak at any conferences. They're, they're not renowned as a church planter who became a seminary president. Yeah, I'm in the spotlight, and as a spotlight leader, all those things get said of me. But I have a full awareness of how that church really got planted. Yes, I went there, and yes, I cast a vision. But dozens and dozens of spotlight Christians, dozens and dozens of people who came to faith in Jesus Christ and became spotlight Christi or, or shadow Christians, Dozens and dozens of them are what made the church what it is today. Yes, leadership's important, but followers are equally important in the ministry accomplishment for, uh, a formula. You don't get anything done with just a leader. You have to have followers who engage fully in the mission and the vision and work together to make it happen. So shadow Christians not only lead churches, but they start churches and they're the people who come along and make ministry happen. Hey, finally, and very importantly, shadow Christians pay the bills. You know, shadow Christians are who fund ministry. Leaders like me cast vision and challenge people to engage in ministry and ask people to pay for it. And here's the remarkable thing. <laughs> they do. Think about it. Think about how much money we ask people to give, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars that we ask people to give to pay for the ministry we're leading. Someone has to pay the bills. Someone has to provide the resources. And shadow Christians are the ones who do that. 
You know, in the Bible, there are a lot of examples of people who provided resources for ministry to be accomplished. I, I think about uh, the colt that was provided for Jesus to ride into Jerusalem. Remember that story? Jesus said to the disciples, go into town. There's a guy with a colt. Ask him if you can use it when, or, or, or get it from him. And when he asks, why do you need it? Say, the master has need of it. And he'll say, that's fine. You can take the colt. Now, Jesus knew there was a man. He knew that where the man was. He knew what the man was going to say. He knew the man had a colt. Why didn't he just tell us his name? Because Jesus was illustrating shadow Christians provide what's needed. Another example is the upper room. Jesus said when you go into, the up, into town, you're going to find an upper room, and you'll tell the people who own that, prepare the Passover there. Uh, the Lord is coming in with his followers. They're going to celebrate it, and they will make ready that room. One of my New Testament professors here at the seminary said during the Passover, Hotel rooms and meeting rooms and any place to stay was at a premium in Jerusalem at that time. And so for this room to be set aside for this purpose was an extravagant gift. But again, Jesus knew the room owner. He knew the room location. He knew what was going to be said and what he told his disciples to say. Couldn't he have at least mentioned the name of the person who made all this happen? No, because shadow Christians provide the resources. What about the boy with the lunch? Remember that story? How about the widow with the two coins? I could go on and on about stories in the Bible where God's provision comes from the hands of shadow Christians, unnamed anonymous people who provided the resources to get the work done. You know, in the Christian community, there is a myth about big donors we think, oh, the big donors. Now, those are the people that we look to, and those are the people that we celebrate, and those are the people who really give the money to fund Christian work. That is a myth. While there are occasionally donors who make large gifts, the multiplied millions that flows through churches and ministry organizations to get the work done comes from everyday Christians writing relatively small checks, making relatively small transfers, reflecting the income they have and the resources God has given them on a regular basis. Shadow Christians pay the bills. You know, in the New Testament, there is a story of some major donors who gave a large gift. Didn't turn out so well. Ananias and Sapphira. So when the names are attached in the New Testament to gifts... They're not really that amazing of a story. In fact, they're a warning to most of us. Instead, the heroes of the giving stories in the New Testament are unnamed, anonymous, shadow Christians who provided the resources needed to advance God's kingdom. Well, I've enjoyed doing these three podcasts about the new book, Shadow Christians, Making an Impact When No One Knows Your Name. I hope you'll use the book as a leadership tool I've included in the book a free discussion guide so that the book can be used as a curriculum in small group studies. It's a tool to encourage, motivate, and inspire shadow Christians. Look, spotlight leaders, lots of books, lots of conferences, lots of materials to spur them along and encourage them in what they do. This book is about the other side of the leadership equation, shadow Christians who get the work done, who accomplish so much, who are so vital in God's kingdom. I hope you'll give them the appreciation and the encouragement they need as you lead on.